I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Encarta. I run a hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element, well, Fifth Element Hip Hop, which is knowledge and live from the barbecue. Digging tickets. You know, I'd never heard that song before I did this episode. It's crazy, right? Oh, yeah. wow. Get the bin. Yeah. Get in the bin. I'm just, it's just a hot... Get in the bin. It's not a hot take, it's just a, it's just a embarrassing take to start the pot off. Then you have been, re- you've been officially revoked of your hip-hop head card. Hi, Ben. Oh. How's your week been? Well... It's too sweet. I don't know how I'll recover from that. Please... Please give it back to me, Charlie. Please. You know how I self-identify as a hip-hop head. You know that my entire identity is wrapped up in my my head status. Oh god. Um this week, this week, uh I listened to that Nasty C mixtape. I really enjoyed that. I think Nasty C is one of the most diverse rappers in the game. Uh you know, the bars on here are great, but like he slips into like singing cadences and the Afrobeat stuff is like really like laid back and kind of downplayed, but I think that that gives it like a really cool quality when it's up against his rap stuff. And I think he's just an interesting rapper. I genuinely do. I was interested to hear what he had to say about things. Uh, there are a couple of tracks where there was some genuine quotables on here. And personally, I've never listened to Nasty C. That I've never listened to a full project before. I've listened to her songs here and there, but yeah, that was really surprising. I not surprising, a lot of people were telling me that Nasty C is a great artist and that I should be definitely checking out and tapping in. But uh, this was the first time I really did for a full project and I actually really, really enjoyed it. Um, what else have we got on here? I didn't listen to much this week. That Simba project, DJ Drama. Um, um, look, man, uh, I think that a lot of people in the industry want Simba to win. I think that Simba has a massive push behind him right now within the industry and yeah man I'm not seeing it I'm not seeing it like uh it's okay it's decent but you know I think that whole thing with Funk Flex that was an example of why Simba I don't think has it is because what he had to do was say something inflammatory to Funk Flex in that freestyle it wasn't bars it wasn't, you know, it wasn't lyrical ability. It wasn't like crazy rapping and insane off the top freestyling. It was just that he called Funk Flex out for saying stuff about Tupac to his face, which is brave, especially when you're an up and coming artist and you, you know, want to get put on in the industry. Uh, it's a brave thing to do. And it was a very viral moment, but I'm not really sure there's heaps behind that virality to back it up. I, I just got really quite bored as I was listening to this project. You know, uh, I think the first like five or six tracks are really solid. I really do. I think that they're they're good. But what I'm always looking for with artists like this, not that I'm any kind of like, not that I can dictate who's who should be on and who shouldn't, but I'm very curious to see how they go in the second half of projects like that because, you know, you can come out the gate incredibly with your best five tracks at the top and people are like, whoa, man, this is hitting. This is crazy. And a lot of people get a tweet off at that point. You know, a lot of people will post up and just say, man, this this Simba album is, is insane. 
you know, you only really need five or six good tracks to get that tweet off. But what happens after that, and I felt like the the project as it progressed just got more and more sleepy, um, more and more dull. You know, there's a lot of stuff on here about uh, you can't wait. You can't wait till he makes it, all the hard work he's been putting in. And I respect that fully, but like, you know, that's that's been said by a trillion other rappers. I, I want to hear something like unique and different from him, and I'm just not getting that from Simba. Um what else did I listen to? Uh, that Gase Guevara, Gu- Guevara, Guevara. Fuck, man, I'm I'm ter- I'm not saying Guevara? his name. Guevara. Yeah, Guevara. Gase Guevara. He had he dropped a beat tape. Uh, he dropped an album earlier in the year, which was fire, which I didn't speak about um, because I only listened to it recently. But yeah, this beat tape is good. This beat tape is. Good. I was expecting bars on here, but it's it literally says beat tape in the. Uh, in the title, so I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, man, it's, it's really good. I think a lot of people were expecting a really conceptual project, and um, it's not that. It's it's just it's just a beat tape, and it's really good. Uh, what else did I listen to? I think that was about it. Vic Spencer's album was really good. I enjoyed that. Uh, ESTG's album was okay. You know, I thought it was decent, but I don't think it's going to set the world on fire. Uh, and that was it. That was it for me. Charlie, what about yourself? Yeah, so this is... Um think my most uh, busy week in terms of listening since uh, since like the week uh, Emily Sanday and Nux dropped. So was that like March, April time? Um, so it's been a minute. Um, Ten projects this week. This week. Um, majority EPs, um, but here we are. Uh, start off with uh, Jean Viev or Jean Viev. I'm sure it's Jean Viev, but it's, it's spelled G-J-E-N-E-V-I-V. V-I-E-V-E, can't spell. Um, it's called Rendezvous. Um, nice mix of just, um, you know, contemporary R&B, bit of, bit of oomps in there, bit of bounce on, on a couple of them. Uh, really enjoyed MDMA, uh, Deep in the Shallow End, uh, really nice stuff there. Um, but yeah, man, it's a, I think this came out, uh, oh no, September 9th, so, you know, recent, recent release. But, um, but yeah, really solid, uh, really solid EP. Um, yeah, good, solid, solid. If you want some, you know, nice, bouncy a uh, little bit, a little bouncy mix of contemporary R and B. You know what I mean? If, if you if you opt to that, uh, go for it. Uh, Blood Orange, four songs. Um, which, guess what? Has four songs. Uh, four songs, eleven minutes, and it is a dream. It just uh, endlessly replayable. I think uh, just definitely one of those things that you can just slam on repeat and uh, spin for you know two, three times over. Um, just perfectly uh, bleeds into one another in terms of track listing. Super dreamy. Uh, but yeah, man, it's blood orange. Like I can't, I don't expect any, uh, don't expect uh, uh, any less. Um, to, apart from you know, really good. Um, and very, and very. Uh, I think. Uh, I don't think anybody else is kind of doing. You know, uh, blood orange in the way blood orange does it. Um, just having that. Uh, just he just has that source. I'm in my mind. Uh, but for his for his own artistry. Uh, David Morrison, uh, Dream Lobby Volume One. Uh. So a little uh, instrumental project, um, apart from, you know, the occasional oohs and ahs and that kind of vocal- vocalage uh, from Devin Morrison. And uh, really good stuff. Really enjoyed it. Seven songs, 24 minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, like the title says, Dream Lobby, kind of, um, it's kind of got that, uh, kind of got that candlelit dinner kind of uh, kind of element to it. Nice and warm. You know what I mean? Just, uh, you know, a couple of glasses of wine. Bit of cheese, you're into charcuterie, go for it. You know I mean, that kind of t- that kind of tip, <laughs> that, that kind of tip. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, smash cro- smash in front of the fire, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Shout out to Devin Morrison. Uh, nice, nice little baby making music. You know the babes. Um, Braxton Cook, uh, Black Mona Lisa. So I've been interested in this guy for a minute, um, saxophonist, and uh, just got some really. Uh, this is only five tracks again, uh, twenty-two minutes. So, so I'm not too dense as a jazz project itself. Um, but it's not even just a jazz project. Um, it's got some good vocals here as well. Um, just really good instrumentation past the saxophone. Um, but yeah, just really, really solid EP. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Right up my alley, uh, definitely. Uh, shout out to Marquis Hill on the same. Uh, really, really solid uh, track. Definitely. Uh, J words. Female producer alert with a mm. brain echo uh, EP. A little, just more of those, um, just more electronica, bit of oots in there, that, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I love me some J words now and again. Uh, just a, just a, just a sweeten the palette a bit. You know what I mean? Switch it up a little bit, a little bit of electronica, um, stuff like that going on. So yeah, shout out to her on that front. Six songs, sixteen minutes. If you're un- into it, Shah uh, Simone, uh, Simmer Down. Um, little bit of a you know drill slash afrobeat kind of thing going on um kind of stuff that i could see someone like miss banks hopping onto um but uh, i think her lyrical ability um is similar to someone like uh, sb who we discovered early in the year um great storytelling uh really you know self-motivating uh kind of uh kind of lyrics uh here as well um avelino on future heat uh, heat feature can't can't miss with some Avellino um, and Bodge on a uh, ten toes. Um, but yeah, past that, uh, just really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, I think uh, the produ- the production as well. I forgot which track it is, but there was one track that's had some really clean ass sample. I forgot what it was, but absolute banger. Shout out to Char Simone. Um, where we at? Oh yeah, <laughs> missed one out. Uh, Muramasa, uh, Demon Time. Uh, so Ben recommended Ooh, banger. Me one track. Banger alert. Uh, yeah. Banger alert! <laughs> no, not a banger alert. <laughs> <laughs> not a banger alert. So, so Ben recommended this to me, like in some ways. Uh, he, reco- he only recommended me a track, one so song. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't come at him fully yeah, uh, for recommending. I never this. even heard um, the album. I decide. I, I know, I know. He only recommended me one track. I can't, can't, I can't shit on him for uh, for the whole thing. I decided to listen to the album like a dickhead, um, but. <laughs> Fucking hell! This is this is this is grim. This is uh this is like TikTok music. Uh, just uh, I, all I could see in my head was just like white girls, just like just hitting, just hitting moves to this, and just like oh, oh fuck off! Like it's not like not my steez at all. Um, ruined, ruined the classic that is Baby Cakes for me. Um, absolutely ruined it. Killed that track. Uh, killed that track for me. Killed that a uh, little bit of nostalgia for me. So thanks on that. Um, and gee, I mean, just some even the you know even the features. Well, you know, there's notable names here. You know, Lil Uzi Vert, Pink Panthers, uh, Slow Tie, uh, Parcelu, Skillabang. Like you know, th- there's some there's some half decent features on paper that you could, that you'd assume would win, but they just don't. They just don't. The beats are, the beats just lend nothing to it. To be honest, um, it's just it's just very cookie cut to be honest for me um the only two tracks i fuck with um properly is probably blessing me with parcelu and skillabang and also emotions with uh, erica de cassier um apart from that just 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 miss me with all, with all the rest to be honest it's just a very 
very poppy, uh, very run of the mill in my mind. Just begging for charts, uh, chart success. It's just, uh, it's just not musties, not musties at all. Uh, Vic Spencer and August Fanon, uh, a psychological cheat sheet three. Um, yeah, Vic Spencer coming back, back again. Uh, friend of five, uh, uh, Vic Spencer obviously back at it again with another one. Um, definitely enjoyed stuff like a uh, murder league baseball, uh, psychiatric advice, uh, tear duct tape. Uh, in a state penetration i i it's just uh you know just it's got the weed bars got the psychological uh things going on uh and the production by august fan on it's kind of if you haven't spun it before spun him before any of the psychological cheat sheets it's kind of a you know just um got this consistent drums thing going on it's like one drum package it feels like but there's just they're just uh, engulfed by uh, really interesting samples, um, which kind of just uh, bring a new flavor every time. Um, so some things stay the same, some things don't. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. And Vic just, you know, just bars all over it. Um, you know, he's, he's just a, a, a peak of consistency um, in, that, in that frame. Uh, Adrian Young, Ali Shaheed Muhammad, and Henry Franklin. Henry Franklin, JID014. Uh, continuing on with their Jazz is Dead series. Obviously, um, Adrian Young's and uh, Ali Shaheed Muhammad's label. Um, and Henry Franklin, uh, uh, Henry Franklin, who um, is a uh, nicknamed a skipper, apparently, a little bassist. Um, uh, widespread attention, according to Spotify here, uh, playing on South African trumpeters Hugh Masakela's uh, uh, 1968 hit "Grazing in the Grass." So he's been about <laughs> he's been about for a minute, um, and uh, yeah, it's just some really uh, really good jazz all over here. Um, I've li- I've listened to the Griot before. That was one of the uh, first ones they dropped this year. But past that, um, really good stuff like Cafe Negro, uh, Memories Lost, uh, African Sun, which is just outstanding from a just a uh, just as one uh, as a singular track, really sprawling. Uh, just got great energy all over that track. Uh, but yeah, it's a good, it's a solid album. You know, thirty-one minutes, eight songs, um, not too dense uh, for the uh, for the people that you know f- find jazz a little bit uh, daunting. Um, but if you do, if you don't find it daunting, um, I've got a nice challenge for you guys uh, with Terry Line Carrington's New Standards Volume One. So I wanted to do a little bit of research for this one because um, I just uh, I oh, and also I, I was uh, reading it. I was reading about uh, an interview um, from uh, with her and uh, realised that um, Jamie Branch died last uh, last uh, last month. I didn't even clock. So R.I.P. Jamie Branch. Um, uh, loved her work on Fly or Die, especially the live version. Um, outstanding vocalist, outstanding trumpeter, really, um, uh, really explorative. Just jazz in general. Um, if you've if you spun any of the Antelope tracks, um, uh, Antelope songs, is you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I, could, I just came as I was looking up, um, reading up on a Terry Lyon Carrington's interview. But yeah, um, so <laughs> back to the album itself. Uh, so it's her on drums, uh, Chris Davis piano, uh, Linda May Han O on bass, Nicholas Pace on trumpet, and Matthew Stevens on guitar. Um, but this is kind of an interesting album, and I'm looking forward to the future ones because this is volume one. So I'm assuming there's, excuse me, I'm assuming there's more. Um, but yeah, uh, so it says on um, I looked it up on a uh, candidrecords.com. So I'm reading a bit of here of it here so for the 2018 opening celebration of the berkeley institute for jazz and gender justice 
uh, Terry Lyon Carrington asked her students to select and perform songs from the famed Jazz Real Book, a compilation of lead sheets or scores of jazz standards written by women composers. So if you don't know about the Real Book, and like me, who just looked it up a few days ago, um, basically uh, it's just um, a series of books um, of lead sheets for jazz standards um so you know the notes and shit that you see um on sheets and uh yeah it's just produced by the students of the berkeley college of music uh since the 1970s or in the 1970s specifically and i think the fact was that only two women were on the were on there and now terry line carrington has had has produced one and it's all women composers um including the likes of uh brandy younger um, amazing harpist and uh yeah it's just, it's just a lot there's a lot of great stuff there um but a really good um uh features here as well um as uh, uh, uh diane reeves uh apparently uh da, 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 trying to read it as well uh brandy younger is uh, uh, one of the tracks actually um respected destroyer really good track on that one uh but yeah ambrose akin simiru um who i've uh, spun before uh, Samara Joy, uh, Michael Mayo, Elena Pinderhughes, Diane Reeves, as I mentioned, uh, Nega Santos, and Somi. Really good stuff all over um, in terms of vocals, and the whole album itself is just really uh, not even that dense. I, I, I kind of I said that in jest. It's actually really soft as a listen. Uh, really good for the background, and uh, yeah, probably one of my favorite jazz records so far this year. Um, I say so far this year, <laughs> reaching like. The last core of the year, but uh, yeah, man, really good stuff. Really, really enjoyed it. Really, uh, a solid album. <clears throat> Love me some Taylor Line character and everything she's involved with at all times. Uh, shout out to her for sure. And when I said, we shall hop on to our topic of this episode, which is a retrospective on the New York slash Canadian uh, trio ish group, whatever you want to call it, uh, main source. Um, I think my uh, my immediate reaction towards um, looking these guys up was just like, huh, five years, huh? <laughs> just <laughs> the fact that they only technically existed for five years with only two albums, but are just so locked in to the hip hop history history books. In I mean, some look, way. if if you've um, if you've never impressive. heard live at the barbecue before, then you don't know what the fuck you're doing in hip. Get out of hip hop. Never speak on it. Don't your hip hop. Don't listen to it. Don't have an account based on it. Just stay away from from the genre and the culture because it's disrespectful. Sorry, Charlie. I just wanted to get that out there. Please continue. I mean, I had no, I had not much else. Uh, but yeah. Get your jokes off, bro. Get your jokes off. A main source is fascinating, man. Um, very interesting. So. Uh, about the name, K-Cut told an interviewer he was actually working at an odd lot discount store and he had the thought that main source, the name was dope because everything comes from some source. And for him, that would be them, the main source, you know, sampling, fung beats, the looping. He said, we would be that group. Everybody would have to check for us. Now, I found that interesting. That will come up again as we progress. Now, their story begins kind of where we left another one uh, during our Eric B and Rakim episode. Now, you will likely know of the controversy surrounding the duo. Large Professor was the frontman and highest profile member of Main Source on their first album. And during the 1980s, before he'd even turned 18, he was being mentored as a producer by none other than Paul C., the producer who had worked with Ultramatic MCs, Bismarck E. Now, Paul C. was originally signed up to ghost produce Eric B. and Rakim's legendary third album, Let the Rhythm Hit Him, 
but when Paul C was murdered in Queens in 1989, a murder that sent shockwaves through the industry, you know, it changed the course of so many careers. Uh, Large Professor was asked to come in and complete what Paul C had begun. So Paul C had begun that work, but when he passed away, there was only one person who could take up that that challenge, and that's Large Professor. He'd studied under him. So he actually began that process while still in school. So he was ghost producing on Let the Rhythm Hit Him whilst in school. Eric B and Rakim, that's their third album, man. They'd already had the million dollar deal. They'd already had a classic under their belt. And, uh, you know, obviously that album itself is considered a classic, one of the greatest hip hop albums ever made. And Large Professor repurposed this goodwill that he had from this, this work because he didn't have production credits at this point. You know, people knew about him in the industry, but he didn't actually have any production credits on the album. Obviously, that's a, you know, a source of ire between Large Professor and um, Eric B. You know, they've gone at each other for years over that. Uh, but what Large Professor did was he actually managed to go out and get genuine production credits. Cool G Rap, especially massive, 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 massive. Lord Finesse, uh, Big L, Jazz O. He did a lot of stuff with Jazzo in the early 90s. But more curiously for me, since I didn't know this until many years after I'd heard about Large Professor, he actually began to dip his toes in the water of emceeing. Uh, on track like uh, Money in the Bank, for example, with Cool G Rap, one of the first times Large Professor uh, spits bars on a track and they were good. You know, you're going to rap next Cool G Rap like, you're going to have to rap well, and he rapped really well. And I wanted to give that history of Large Professor a little bit because, uh, you know, I was a bit shocked when I listened to these records. I'd never listened to Main Source before. And, you know, I did not know, I don't know Large Professor's voice that well. So when I'm listening to it, I'm like, this is good. Like, I wonder who, and then I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't know that he, like, did his own like his own stuff like that. It's crazy. So if we cycle back in time a little bit, in 1989, Large Professor was glowing up as a producer, uh, still attending John Brown High School alongside K-Cut and Sir Scratch. Now, K-Cut and Sir Scratch are brothers, and their mother, who was pivotal in this story, Sandra McKenzie, she stepped in as their manager. Now, she was paying for studio time and really helping attempt, uh, sorry, attempting to help them get signed. Now, their family was laden with musical love. Their grandfather pressed his own records in the 70s, and their mom, Sandra, had an impressive collection of vinyl, one the brothers were excited to rifle through as New York Radio began to broadcast hip-hop to like-minded individuals. Now, beginning their careers as DJs in junior high school, the two brothers formed the group New Era, and this was then rolled into main source in high school. Now, it wasn't necessarily large professors' production chops that endeared him to the brothers. According to an interview with Nick Patch, it was actually word of mouth about his rapping ability that ended in large professor getting a family audition in the house. Now, K-Cut said, my mum and my brother were like my A&R guys. So they went and found a large professor and brought him to the house and gave him an audition. Now, he can rap. He can really, really rap. And their journey began. And actually, the interview with Nick Patch says that Miss McKenzie, a.k.a. their mum, had such a presence in an history that DJ Premier actually shouted her out on IG. So she got that DJ Premier cosign. Now, whilst Large Professor's mentor Paul C was still alive, the group actually began to record music together, funded, but depending on who you asked, by either Miss McKenzie or via Warner and MCA, who were booking expensive sessions for Large Professor and Paul C to work on Eric B and Rakim's Cool G Rap projects. Studio sessions that when Paul C passed, uh, Large Professor began to share with the two brothers himself. So, you know, regardless of who was behind the money, the group had ample access to sample material. 
And with two DJs and a producer at work, you can imagine how lengthy those digging sessions became. And uh, K-Cut told an interviewer in 91 that Main Source was unique because of their vastly different tastes. K-Cut loved reggae and soul, and so his influence pushed some tracks in that direction. Now, their debut single, Think Slash Adam, dropped in 1989. But Large Professor told Nick Patch, their process was really slow because they were forced to only work on weekends and would take the rest of the week to analyze and perfect their sound. At the same time, their record collection was growing rapidly. Large Professor told Nick Patch, a lot of my peers' parents were getting rid of their records. I would simply ask all my friends if they had records at home, and 99% of the time they would say, yeah, it's okay to come get them. I wonder how many parents woke up the next morning and were like, wait a sec, where the hell did all my records go? They're in Large Professor's basement, and that's where they are, man. That's, that's where it is. And then we've got a Q-tip reference here. We've got Q-tip, of course. We have to have a Q-tip reference. Uh, K-Cut said he and Large Professor would hop in the car and bust the rhymes in Q-Tip and go record shopping in New Jersey, which is fucking cool. Uh, and of course, Main Source would often play live with Tribe uh, and Large Professor actually tutored Busta Rhymes and Mob Deep on how to sample, which I think is really cool as well. Um, but yeah, not and, and obviously sampling was just such a massive, massive part of their music. Uh, I don't want to jump into the first album too quickly, but... They employed a staggering 54 samples across 12 tracks on their debut record, which is 4.5 per song. That's a lot. That is a lot. You know, we did the sampling uh, episode where I went down every top 10 hip-hop album in history, and, um, you know, this album did not go top 10, uh, but only 16 albums in that data set had more samples per song. 16 out of, like, 900 or something, insane amount of albums in that data set. But yeah, obviously, sadly, during this process, when they were creating their, their demos in their first album, Paul C. was murdered. Now, in an interview with Vinyl Me Please, K-Cut said, Paul C. left us his legacy in terms of how he showed us how to make music. So for us, we all knew how to produce. We all have our fingers in a lot of things in the industry that Paul C. left for us. We're a group that are really artistic, and it's really about music. Despite the fact it's uh, it's been K-Cut and Mikey D who have done most of the interviews around Main Source, we'll get to Mikey D in a second. Um, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of interview material to be honest. Uh, but this is the Large Professor show. You know, Main Source is Large Professor. You know, that's the thing, man. We get to the second now, and we're going to talk about that. Ambrosia for Heads wrote this paragraph uh, just about the first album, and then we can get into it in a second. But the division of labor on Breaking Adams appears to be weighted heavily towards the group's MC and key producer. The other two members of Main Source were more than stand-ins or hip-hop hopefuls looking for a meal ticket, as biased history has somewhat portrayed them. In 2012, appearing on DJ Eclipse and Torre Ray's Rap Out of Here, Rap is Out of Control, sorry, radio show, Large Professor credited his Main Source partners and engineers for their roles in layering the album with samples. In that same video interview, the star of the group did admit he did most of the tracks himself. They were merely double DJs for a group who did not necessarily need them. To complicate matters further, Large Professor had proven himself as a great DJ. So, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Large Professor did the bulk of the work. He was the star, you know, he was the thing. And But the thing is, like, all this digging and this preparation meant that Main Source were ready. And, you know, Large Professor was a huge part of the industry at this stage. He was progressing rapidly. So when looking, you know, looking at the front door, for example, the song, when it came out, it blew up. It went number one on the US Hot Rap Songs chart, and it stayed there for three weeks, which is massive from an, an unknown group. No one knew this group yet, but everyone knew Large Professor. They knew what he was capable of. Um, 
and that's the thing, man. Like, it, it, I, I, we'll get into the first album, Breaking Atoms. Uh, but if you want to speak on that process to get to that, Charlie, I'd be very interested, uh, especially around Large Professor doing the bulk of the work and, yeah, just being a superstar in his own right. I never really knew that about him. Yeah, um, I was, I was going to didn't <laughs> go too much in the Large Professor because uh, there's a potential retrospective in, mm. in line for his solo work, uh, which is also interesting in itself. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the interesting thing about this group, and you mentioned it briefly, but I want to nail it home, is the fact that they were all producers <laughs> mm-hmm. in some fashion, um, which I don't think there has been a group like that. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, apart, yeah, I, I, well, apart from maybe the Uma, um, which obviously, you know, Tip, Ali Shaheed and Jay Dilla, but, um, yeah, I just I just find that, uh, but they don't have a, a, I don't think they have an album. Uh, well, Outkast kind of do that. I mean, but there's only two of them. Uh, sure, I guess. Dungeon Family, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'll, you know, take your pick, guys, if you want yeah. it on that front. But um, pick your side of the camp. Um, yeah, I, I just find that very uh, interesting, I guess, in, in the fact that... Um, uh, somebody had to MC, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, someone <laughs> had to step up to the MC. mic. Someone had to do I it. Mean, shit, you know what I mean? Like somebody had to, somebody had to step up to the mic because uh, you know, free producers uh, is free producers. Like you know, what I mean, you're gonna need someone to MC. Um, but you know, luckily we had uh, someone like our professor who is, um, as you said, uh, low key adept at the mic. Um, and uh, you know, I feel like that. Um, that ability to have both, um, I th- I feel like that lends to uh, a lot of things uh, in in his uh, f- in the future of his career. Um, past main source with the amount of people he's worked with and the amount of uh, uh, yeah, just the amount of classics he's helped build. Um, you know, it's good to have that. Uh, it's good to have that both sides of the both sides of the booth uh, mindset, I guess. Um, not that I know his mindset or how he how he uh, his process on producing and uh, rapping, but um, yeah, I th- I just I just wanted to nail that particular part home. If I was just like, uh, you know, if the beats were where coming, I mean, geez, uh, well, well, this group wouldn't be anywhere, right? But uh, I think in uh, in effort of foreshadowing, I guess is. Uh, what uh it's it's just a solid work in terms of uh, you know great beats as you said very sample heavy and uh very of the time um of the early 90s where there you know there were just a lot of uh, a lot of these types of albums happening i think um but it was just a matter of the, the only the, the 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 dividing factor i feel between someone like between someone like a a, a cool G rap or a or a Big L, Big Daddy Kane, etc. Uh, etc. Et um, and even and even groups in that, uh, I think the dividing factor was like stuff stuff like Brand Nubian, for example. The dividing factor was what you said on the mic and what was talked about on the mic. And I feel like Main Source had that niche of just uh, I don't know. It's kind of just like. Uh, it's got this teenage element to it. Um, I feel you know, just hanging out, uh, just a game of baseball. You know, what I mean, just 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 little stuff like that, and obviously uh, bars of uh, adeptness at uh, rapping. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's much swearing in this. I feel I feel like the 
the works themselves are pretty clean lyrically, mm. um, which I feel like is another uh, thing to mention. Um, but yeah, uh, it's 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 just a really they 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 separated themselves, um, especially with something like uh, Breaking Downs, which we can get into. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's super sample heavy. Uh, and I actually think that's a key aspect to the individually, just of this period, not necessarily this record. I mean... Okay, they were swearing. <laughs> oh, there was? quite a lot of it. Yeah, there was. I mean, Nas, Nas does swear on Live at the Barbecue. I've, I've obviously committed that verse to memory, as all hip-hop heads have in their, yes. in their, in their life. But... Uh, Look, man, uh, K-Cut told Mass Appeal about the process of producing this record. He says, uh, P always came up with the sample joints, the large professor, to where he had it mapped out. Then we went in the studio and added stuff to it, which obviously is speaking to what Ambrosia for Heads said. Now, it was not a commercial smash, despite just hanging out, going 11 on the Hot Rat singles chart. Uh, the album peaked at number 40 on the top R&B hip-hop albums chart, but it was immediately proclaimed a future classic by reviewers when it dropped. has a 92 review average, and I think it continues to stand the test of time. But the lack of commercial reception, and to be honest, the lack of iconic status outside of those who go looking for classic underground albums. You know, you don't hear many people referencing this album alongside, you know, People's Instinctive or Paid in Full or Radio or... Yeah. It's not common, right? Like, you don't hear people talking about this album as much. Um, you know, uh, K-Kite explained it to Nick Patch that their label situation with Wild Pitch meant that the album just could not possibly expand because of their lack of resources. Yet it had one of the most iconic moments in hip-hop history, uh, Nas, live at the barbecue, Nas's introduction to the world. Uh, K-Cut told Nick Patch quite simply, Nas was just always around us. You know, there's not really a lot of information about how this came out, came about. I think it's one of those collaborations that, like, back in the day, uh, it makes, is, is there's so many of them, but Nas went on to such incredible things that there's, like, a laser focus on this particular one. This is one of the most iconic songs in hip-hop history, and but there's not that much information. You know, there's normally, like, giant retrospectives on how this song came about and, like, you know, let's talk to all the people involved, but it doesn't really exist for this song and and k-cut was just simple he's just like nas was always around us so we just got a verse from him and you know it's a wild freaking verse it really is you know for this to be your introduction to the world i shoot slugs from my brain just like a rifle stand page the stage i leave the microphone split play mr tuffy on some pretty tone shit verbal assassin my architect pleases when i was 12 i went to hell for snuffing jesus Nasty Nas is a rebel to America, police murderer. I'm calling hysteria. I'm causing hysteria. My troops roll up with a strange force. I was trapped in a cage and let out by main source. Swimming in women like a lifeguard. Put on a bulletproof. I strike hard. Kidnap the president's wife. With, like, you know, he's, this is this is it, man. This is Nas. He was like 16 when he came out. This <laughs> shit, man. It's wild. DJ Premier told the source in '94. Everybody that really know hip-hop will always remember the record Live at the Barbecue. Just hearing how his flow on that record let me know that he was destined to be out here for a long time. Now, when speaking to Mass Appeal, large professor said of Breaking Adams, they'll go back to the album, uh, Breaking Adam, he says, uh, that album is a statement for the times. It came out in 91. It was all organic. So much natural stuff happened out of that. You had Nas coming out of that. You can't replace that. You can't get that feeling. People don't know. 
Fuck the charts and statistics and all that shit, man. That street shit is real, man. Now, Large Professor recalls being stopped at the lights by Eric Sermon to tell him the album was dope, and that's when he knew. Like, he had achieved what he set out there. And it is dope, man. The sampling is is otherworldly. I think Large Professor achieved peak everything on this album. You know, on the opener Snake Eyes, he speaks on the ills of gambling. Uh, Just a friendly game of baseball, he raps about police brutality. On the track Peace, uh, Peace is not the word, sorry, to play, is railing against the gangster rap movement coming out of the West. Uh, Pete Rock lends some production on, on Vamos. Uh, I think the production on Just Hanging Out is my favorite, um, but maybe just for that beautiful Sister Nancy sample. Uh, just as Ambrosia, yeah, incredible, Bang. incredible. Just as Ambrosia for Heads said in their deep dive, it's hard to contextualize this record. Uh, it came amongst the Daisy Age, but it existed separately from it, despite Main Source circling amongst Native Tongues members heavily. You know, direct proof of this is, of course, is Nas's show-stopping performance on Live at the Barbecue. That's not a track you'd find on a D-Light album. You know, it's not a track you'd find on uh, Tribe's debut record. And I've seen this album as... I've always seen this album as cool because of the way that Large Professor kind of stomped it in in a way he has never since. You know, he was kind of at the peak of his powers on this record, I think, behind the boards and the microphone. And I think he crafted something that sounds incredible to this day. And maybe it doesn't need to be given some esoteric title. Uh, Maybe it doesn't need to be like the beginning of something or, you know, the start of a movement or the the zeitgeist of anything. It's totally fine for for an album to be considered a classic. And I think just leave it there. It's a great record. Yeah. Um, shout out to the frequent use of uh, uh, Melvin Van Peebles' work as well. Um, just a nice little. Uh, I I just like it when people um, uh, sample black exploitation era films. It's just a uh, just nice. It's interesting to me. Um, but yeah, the album itself is um, yeah just full of heat. Um, just uh, the that that sister Nancy sample is just. Um, Top tier for me. I love. Uh, I love when people just sort of bum bum in that way. That's that's one of the best ones I've heard. Uh, it's just great, absolutely wonderful. Um, <clears throat> just uh, looking at the front door. Interesting um, uh, flow pan on that one in particular, um, and it comes across a lot. But um, I just I just like it because it's very of the era. I feel like uh, a lot of people went down that road uh, where. They might deviate and might they might split in terms of um how fast they do it, but it's always when uh Rakim did this, Kooji Rap did this, where like there's the last two lines of a verse and they just like have a pause in between uh, in between them. So on the uh, looking at your front door, uh, it goes uh but regardless, you shouldn't have to be you shouldn't have to be so raw. I'm looking at the front door. Mm. Just, <laughs> they like Rakim did that. Kooji Rap did that shit. I just love that. Just a particular uh, motif. Let's just call it that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a, that's a fun. That's a fun one for me. Uh, whenever I hear that, it's just a. It's just a throwback. It, you don't. You don't hear that kind of shit anymore. Um, of how uh, just flows have changed. Um, in in you know the decades since. Uh, uh, yeah. I I mean that's that's kind of just more of a um. I don't know, uh, thing that I miss, I guess, uh, and just how people rap. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just talking to talk, but um, yeah, man. Even stuff like, but I, I think uh, another thing I like about this album is, um, I mean, I kind of expected this um, from a 
you know, a majority or producer group. Um, just the just the tracks that were just instrumentals as well. You know what I mean? Shout out to those as well, um, especially um, uh, which one? Scratch and Cut. Um, you know, it, it's just I just I just like that. Um, similar to when Eric B and Ra Kim's albums sometimes had um had like an instrumental uh, going on just to, just to I don't know, just to clear the palette a bit. You know what I mean? A little bit intermission. I enjoy that. Um, I'm I'm always here for that. Uh, it's another I think relic of uh of a uh, late nineties, early nineties hip hop um, that people don't really do anymore. Um, to 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 my to personal my personal detriment. But um, yeah, shout out to them for just uh, keeping that kind of thing going on. Um, but yeah, man, I just uh, I don't. <laughs> can anybody name the other features on Live at the Barbecue? Because I feel like it's just crazy that there were other features. But we just don't even talk about. <laughs> you just can't compete. Just because, just just because, just because Nile's just scorched the fucking earth. Um, that's, uh, that's just funny to me. I won't say the features just to just to force people to look it up, but it is it's just funny to me how how that uh how that uh tracker came uh, just uh came through as a um a pillar, I guess, of hip hop history. I mean, it's just one of those things. I guess it's it's a really while you while you uh, while you mentioned that there's not much uh you know in-depth retrospective about that one particular moment in hip-hop history which is quite fascinating to be honest um that nobody's actually done that yet um i do i I find it still regardless very unique because i don't feel like we do that with a lot of people where um oh here's the first bars that uh somebody you know somebody i'm thinking about doing that i'm thinking about doing that because i think it's a fascinating thing that we don't we don't talk about that much. Like, I want to do it like the first mainstream, like, experience that we had with someone like Jay-Z on Hawaiian Sophie or, like, Nicki Minaj on Monster or, you know, obviously Two those are the... same song. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even we're going to get into it, LOX on the next Main Source album. Like, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, it's, it's crazy. Oh. Tangent, uh, not tangent, uh, segue. You won't go. We can, we can, we can, we can segue. So the next <laughs> album. Well, this one's interesting. So this is interesting. So Fuck What You Think is the name of the next album. Now, uh, I never knew this. I never knew this about Main Source, but Large Professor left the group before this album because obviously I hadn't listened to this album until I listened to did this retrospective. I knew about Main Source, but I didn't know that Large Pro left the group. Now, in an interview with the man who apparently ruined hip-hop, but also made it so that we have more hip-hop knowledge than we ever thought possible. DJ Vlad. Oh, no. DJ Vlad alert. Oh, no. Look, I can't. Look, I can't help it. There's just so much information. There's so much. I've learned so much from that man. And, yes, that makes if that makes me a culture vulture, I apologize profusely. But he has... He has increased all your knowledge. If you're listening right now, there's a shitload of stuff you knew, but only because of him. And all that other shit, yes, I fully agree with you, uh, but we're not going to get into a DJ Vlad thing here. But Large Professor said to DJ Vlad uh, that the issue came about because of Miss McKenzie, uh, you know, the the brother's mother who was managing them. Uh, Large Professor said he wasn't seeing enough of the earnings of the group, so he had to leave the situation. Now... You should never, ever, ever not pay Large Professor what he is owed if you're a main source. Like, he is main source. That's the definition of main source, you know. 
Now he said, and I quote, it was time for that to happen. I didn't harp on it. It was just like, nah, fuck them. Just on some bullshit because that's what hip hop embodies. I know the street rules and mannerisms and I can get down like that. Fuck y'all. It was just that I knew I could get back to the boards and just cook up more because there's more where that came from. That reminds me a lot of Dr. Dre. That reminds me heaps of Dr. Dre talking about... I was like Cube actually, funny enough. Cube as well, Cube as well. But I think it's more with... um. You know, when he created Aftermath, uh, it was like, you know, a lot of people criticized him for going out on his own and, and like leaving such a like a lucrative label situation. But Dr. Dre was like, I'm the product. I'm the, you know, I leave that you don't have the product anymore. And that's exactly what Large Professor is saying here. Now, on keeping it on Keep Rolling, uh, Large Professor actually threw shots at the duo. That was a tribe track. He said, fuck the projects, the PJs, fuck them two DJs, self-mission. So they replaced Large Pro with Mikey D, who was already an incredibly accomplished MC. He actually met LL Cool J in high school and they would freestyle together. In fact, it was allegedly Mikey D who called LL Cool J ladies love. He said that that, that was the moniker that he gave him. And we also know, you know, LL Cool J created LL Cool J, short for ladies love Cool James, which is hilarious when you like, meet people because everyone knows LL because of you know NCIS or whatever he's on that that show and they're like yeah LL Cool J and I'm like do you know what it stands for they're like no like ladies love Cool James and they look at me and they're like no 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 and I'm like yes yes it was the 1980s now Mikey D had been signed since 1985 and he went over to Reality Record with his group, The Symbolic Three. Now, this is how he met Paul C., who was obviously Large Professor's production mentor. And he actually formed a group with Paul C., Mikey D., and the LA Posse. Now, that's a massive group. That is a, that is a legendary group. So, Mikey D. then went on to battle and beat Melly Mel at the New Music Seminar Battle for World Supremacy. Great name in 1988. And he says in an interview, he became the greatest rapper of all time. Or the greatest rapper in the world when he won that battle. Typical American, you <laughs> I love, know. I love it. No, it's like when uh, it's like when NFL like, yeah. call themselves world world champions. I'm just like nobody yeah. plays the sport, bro. Like, I mean, yeah. this battle probably happened in Manhattan, and you know he's like, I'm the greatest yeah. rapper in the world. You know, like, but you know, I. He actually went into a three-year exile when Paul C was murdered and the record label was forced to drop his group because of a dispute over the name. So during this time, Mikey D was actually in Miami and his manager, Mike Beasley, had a cousin who owned a studio in Manhattan. Now, in trying to get Mikey D another record deal, he ended up catching the attention of Jeff Red, who was an R&B singer, who told him that Main Source, he knew Main Source, were looking for a new lead rapper, which is very, like, you know, industry kind of like creating connections kind of way. I think it's kind of cool. Now, contact contact was made and he ended up freestyling for them and they gave him a job. In the Vinyl Me Please interview, K-Cut and Mikey D give some interesting insight into the process for this album. Uh, Michael Penn, too, asks a pretty wild question and we get a really solid response. He says, fuck what you th- think felt very like, fuck y'all, fuck everybody. I proved it already. You all thought I didn't have the beats like that. You all thought I wasn't trying to replace someone, but it is, it's fuck y'all. And K-Cut says this, for me, it wasn't about having beef. It was about music. So we just wanted to do music and put our music out there and get everyone to listen to it. So it was never a thing of politicking with Large Pro or like we're going to prove Large Pro wrong. It was all about Mike had skills from day one. I produce. We just want people to listen to what we've been holding for for a minute. Now, he actually also says um, it's about showing the art, the craft, who you are as an artist, 
and who you are as a producer and let the world know. That's what I think Main Source was, is about, not who's the best. Now, we know that not to be true because Main Source is about being the only source for beats, rhymes, and cuts. That was the point of Main Source at the start. Now they're changing the net, like, you know what I mean? But anyway, Mikey D then said, you know, he, he basically went on to explain that he and Large Professor are completely different MCs, and that is 1,000% true. You know, and maybe a more fitting definition is the main source of talent before it blew up because, you know, they kept their unbroken streak of unearthing legendary MCs on the track set it off, which is a wild posse cut that features Jadakiss and Sheik Looch well before they had blown. This is, in fact, the first ever performance of LOX. So K-Cut told uh, Views Before the Six, he said, my brother has connected, had connected with them and brought them to the house like, yo, these kids is crazy. I met them. I was like, cool, we're trying to finish this second album. We decided to do a posse cut again. We just went in and the LOX came on and they were called the Warlocks back then, which you remember from our LOX episode. And they blessed the record. Now, as for the album itself, it's obviously a bit of a step down. Um, you know, Illmatic and Ready to Die came out in the same year. And we often speak on this pod of the incredible evolution of sound from 91 to 94 in hip hop. Uh, maybe 95, if you had the wrong production in 92 that sounded like 1988, you know, it just it was going nowhere. And I'll talk about what happened with the release of this album because it's a bit confusing and it kind of links into why they kind of took a hiatus. Um, but yeah, Charlie, speak on this album. Let me know how you feel about it because like, I feel like this is a very polarizing record, this one. Uh <clears throat> I mean, the background of it, I feel like, is polarizing, um, as you've uh, mm. correctly, you know, laid out. But I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's not. It's not. That, it's not that bad. It's not. Uh, obviously, it hasn't got the iconic sheen that uh, Breaking Amps has. Um, doesn't have a live at the barbecue, but like you said, it does have a you know half decent posse cut. Um, but even for something like Diary of a Hitman, I enjoyed the. I enjoyed the storytelling of it. Uh, you know, he was born in a jail cell because his mum was a con and his mother's cuffed arms was a newborn time bomb, but it wasn't his fault. He, uh, she was caged in, uh, she was in the cage vault for aggravated assault on his eight, uh, eight-year-old sister. As Mr. Daddy stood there, instead he should have dissed her. And now mummy's found guilty because she uh, almost beat her daughter to death for spilling a glass of milk. See, Papa was a boozer, Mama was a drug abuser. There were no win-losers and now Sonny's got a struggle. And another day of life for him uh, to him's another day of trouble. You gotta live this life for you to try and understand the diary of a hitman. It's good. It's fine. It's solid. No, I can't. I can't really complain about this record. Um, some good stuff on here. Um, I, I, I don't expect people to say this is better than Breaking Adams because it's not right. It's, it's just not. But you know, it still has the, uh, the overall just um, obviously it's a well, it's technically shorter. Um, the main source. Uh, um, the um. The Breaking Ams albums uh, depends where you look at. Um, they do have like a few remixes, bonus tracks, um, in places. So you know, it, most of the time it's like an hour, but you know, this is about forty minutes. Um, you know, it still has the uh, uh, literally a track called Intermission. So you know, they still have the production, uh, the production only songs as well. Um, you know, Shark Queen on Fuck What You Think was um, mm. solid to me as well. Yeah, I'm ready to explode. Uh, niggas got me to the point uh, where now I'm fucking heated. Nothing nice to say. Your words will then uh, you're best to leave it. Bitches getting jail because I ain't fail and fucking them, uh, fucking left them hanging. But I still, uh, but still, I chill with my true crew. Ain't nothing changing. I'm very down to earth and real. 
and anything I gotta say, I'ma say it. Fuck how that person feel. Living, uh, living the life the way I want it, want to in my own way. You yeah, fuck what everybody else say. It's just you know, it's it's, it's to the point. It it's obviously um the track, uh, the 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 title track, um, and I think it sticks to the brief there. And then obviously she set it off um, with, like I said, uh, Jadakiss, Sheik, and also Pedro Lotto and Shark Queen as well. So you know, there's some there's some gems in here. There's some gems in here. I'm not saying it's classic or anything. It's just an, it's just a solid album. Um, but it, it's just it doesn't have large presses, so it, it misses that um, it misses that key cog, obviously. Um, but I wouldn't say it you know dramatically loses out to the point that it's trash. It's not like. Um, it's not like uh, when Farside broke up and then it was just two of them and then they did like a Humboldt, uh, Humboldt Beginnings, I forget the name of the album, yeah, in 2002 or whatever. Yeah, it was terrible. That, that, was a, that was a dramatic dip. Like that that, that's, a, that's a quality dip. Yeah. This is more, you know, this is more just plateau, I think. Um, I'm like, well, it can't be plateau, it can't be classic. But yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously down, but... You know, it's just not as dramatic. It's not. It's not like, whoa, this is completely different, and I don't like it. It's um, you know, it's boom bap. It's ninety four. You get exactly what you think. What you think you're gonna get, um, but just with no large professor. So um, yeah, is is what is on that front. But you know, it's a, it's a solid listen. Can't complain. Yeah, the release of this album kind of ruined the group's momentum entirely. So, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> you know, look, um. It, it, it never really dropped in 94. So it was re-released in 1998, but if you check Discogs, the three available records from 94 are unofficial violent... Vi- there's an unofficial vi- vinyl release, a test pressing, and a promo cassette. Now, Mikey D told Unique Asset Access Entertainment, he said, there was no push behind it. There was an ulterior motive within the camp of the label. I'm not going to say who the bad guys are. I'm not going to point fingers, but I think people wanted to get released from Wild Pitch. We had a great project, and I think they thought it would be better in other hands. The way that the group and the management went about getting this release from the label wasn't professional. It was ghetto. People could have got hurt, locked up. I think because of that, Wild Pitch tightened their grip on that project because they were the one who put the money out for it. We're going to release you without this album and we're not going to put it out. That's why it came out later. We had a press conference talking about the album and all hell broke loose. So the album did actually drop properly in 1998. Now, LOX were a force. Diddy was diddy bopping. Hip hop was already progressing from the sound of 95, which this album was already behind in the first place. So there's not heaps of information about why, why Wild Pitch didn't ever put it out. Other than the fact that Mikey D said they didn't want to, you know, the label, um, they they didn't stop releasing music in '94. Uh, KRS One dropped in their label in '95. Um, that album also came out on a vibe. They began re-releasing projects in the mid '90s, and it seems like they actually tried to re-promote this album before its release, re-releasing their one-off single "Fake in the Funk" from '92, which was a great song. Uh, they re-released it in 96, but Fake in the Funk still had Large Pro on it. And then the album came out in 98, which obviously didn't have Large Pro on it, which is kind of weird. Um, you know, it, it's just a weird thing. And, and unfortunately, this ending of this episode is another similar anticlimactic one. The, the group just lost all momentum because of this. You know, they were trying... Yeah, they were trying to, like... I think they just got like completely stuck in this uh, in this attempting to get this album out, attempting to get off this label and get into a new label situation. 
And by the time the album came out, it was 98. Four years had passed. Large Professor had obviously moved on. All the members had moved on and, and worked on solo s- s- stuff and, and solo projects. Um, and Mikey D's interview with Unique Access Entertainment is very clear. He was very unimpressed with the way the brothers and Miss McKenzie attempted to get out of their label deal. In a 2017 interview, K-Cut said the breakup was because of a miscommunication and everyone was not on the same page. Now, to me, that just says, again, uh, the same reason Large Professor left the group. You know, I, I would not normally say, I wouldn't usually say, based on one interview and one person leaving a group, that that's the reason the whole thing fell apart. But Mikey D had the exact same criticism. You know, so to me, it says that the brothers with their mother... Uh, they had different ideas about what they wanted from the group and what their role within the group was. And, you know, they're still on amicable terms. I mean, they toured together. I think they performed in for the first time the original lineup a few years ago. So they still do perform. They still do tour together. They still do play main source product. But um, there's been, never been another project. I mean, that was 94. It's 2022. That's a long time. It's 28 years without a main source project um that's a wild amount of time a um a tangential question i want to ask because i feel like um uh i feel like even though uh obviously for large pro dipped for obvious reasons and probably for his benefit um i feel like uh you know he probably would have you know in the parallel universe he'd be better off in this universe but um is there a is there a breakup um in hip hop where you were just like damn like they 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 had something there you know what i mean and they just uh i, I just wanted I, you know like a heartbreaking like uh breakup mm. do you have cuz i was listening to um I, I was listening to the music snobs um as you think about it i was listening to it and they were talking about tony 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 um a bossy r&b group uh you know yeah if you know the vibes and um they, talk, they they do a round table at the end of every episode and you know it's like a prompt since uh, and they were talking about most heartbreaking breakup uh, group breakup and um i think it was scoop that mentioned uh uh pete rock and seal smooth and i was just like yeah yeah they they could have done so much more on that one on that one you know what i mean like mm. as a as a duo they could have done so cuz even the main ingredient was as good as uh, mecca and the soul brother so i was just trying to think cuz you know obviously breaking atoms was great and who knows, bro? Who knows? I say that, you know, I, I, in my mind, I assume, you know, personally, Large Pro would have been better off on his, on his own, f- considering what he did on his own. Um, but, you know, it could have been, hey, man, if we got like three Breaking Atoms Levels records, like, that, could, that would be, <laughs> that would be something. Um, mm. But obviously, we never got that. So I just want, I just, it, it just brought me to that tangential question. I think. The two that come to mind, I mean, first is a genuine breakup, which is Eclipse. You know, I think I would have loved to have seen how they progressed into the 2010s. Uh, You know, especially the way that Pusha T has continued to glow up as a rapper. Uh, I would have loved to have seen that with, you know, Pharrell. And No Man has still got bars. Yeah, yeah. He's still Um, still here. And the other one is, look, man, I just wish what happened with the Wu didn't happen. I wish that they just didn't fracture off like that. You know, I, I'm stoked that they had the solo careers, but I really wish that, I guess, the flood in Riz's basement hadn't happened because then a bunch of beats would have been given to Deck, Master Killer, You God, because that's the problem. That's I, I feel personally that's what happened is that, 
you know, there were artists in Wu who felt like they weren't getting the attention from RZA that they deserved on their solo projects, and then they lost passion for the group. And when they lost passion for the group, the group pretty much just became, you know, Ray, Ghost, Meth, but like it just kind of just petered out into nothingness, which was really disappointing because, you know, they, they just like even their solo work to this day is still insane. So I just I'm disappointed at what happened in that in that sense, you know. <laughs> I mean, can't even be disappointed when they got like several classics among them in solo careers. Yeah, but you could still be disappointed. I mean, they've got less. They've got less classic albums in Outcast. Like Outcast, Outcast went for what? Was a collective? What is classic albums? Oh, they what? Wu Tang got two. Outcast have got four. Oh, so we're not adding solos to it? No, 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 not solos. Not. Oh right, solos. okay, all right, yeah, all right. All right. Because, I mean, that's the group. I mean, they broke up, right? And that's oh, how they, you know. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm trying to think of who else. I'm looking back through our episodes and trying to think. I mean, obviously, obviously, Fuji's. No. I no? I, I'm fine with that. I'm fine. What? I'm not, heartbro- I'm not heartbroken by that. I'm not heartbroken. What? I'm not heartbroken. Bro, I'm not. No, 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 no. Lauren Hill. Why Clef G? Why are you heartbroken about Lauren Hill dipping to produce one of the greatest albums ever? She can do that. No, no, she can do that. But, but also, Fuji's. You don't have to be one or the other. No, no, man. Fucking greatest. I would love for them to do more, but I wasn't heartbroken about it. You know what I mean? I just, I'm not like, oh no. Oh, I was. I wasn't heartbroken. I wasn't like miseducation softened the blow. Let's just say that. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Pras and Wyclef. I think it's disappointing mostly because Pras and Wyclef were never as good as they were in the group. You know, and I, I have always yeah, been sure. a Praz a defender or apologist or whatever you want to call it. I love Praz and I love Wyclef. And I think all three of those, the dynamic was wild. It was incredible. It was like, but we really only got one album where they put their whole, they, they were at the peak of their powers. And we really, I mean, look, it's like Outkast stopping after their second album. You know what I mean? <laughs> then we don't get... You know, we don't get Quemonite, we don't get Stankonia, we don't get Speaker Box Love Below. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the first album is, you know, Outcast's first album. They were un- they were learning themselves, they were understanding their place in the world, they were learning their artistry. That's what blundered on blundered on reality. That's their first album, right? Yes. That that's what that was. And then the second album is them just being like, we are the best. And then, the, the, you know, Lauren Hill gave us Miseducation two years later, which is a, a wild album. So they were all still at the peak of their powers. We could have got another, but we didn't. Anyway, I'm disappointed in their break on. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of, I mean, that doesn't lead into Lighter Night or anything, but we'll segue somehow to Lighter Night. <sighs> I, 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 I don't know, guys. I just feel... I just feel like having a little victory lap, you know what I mean? Oh, so, gosh. like, you know, for Here the past comes. 10 fucking years, you lot have been putting on this fucking, like, persona dick riding of, like, how, you know, Drake's this real-ass dude, and as it turns out, he's just as bitch-made as the rest of you by hitting up Fantano on IG, and not just hitting him up on IG, but posting it on his fucking stories he's pushing 40 and talking as if he's fucking 15 is this your king 
Is this your fucking king? And also, why is he the one to 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 guess up Fantano, a white dude, um, for having a black wife? He doesn't have the jurisdiction on that front, bro. What? Maybe uh, he's. Uh, I've never seen Drake with a black girl. I'm sorry, it's never. It's not happened. It hasn't happened. Literally, hasn't happened. It's, it's, there's no jurisdiction here. Like, do you for you to give credit for that is just laughable to me. And um, yeah, I just, I just don't. I haven't heard any of you guys. I haven't heard any Drake fans. Uh, 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 twi- Twitter worrying on the on the. I haven't either. Warring. To I be a hundred percent honest, I, fucking I have not heard at? a thing from them. It's weird. It's weird. No defending. No defense for that. That's weird. That's weird. How how y- your king is just um is unprovoked at, i mean apart from the trolley cookie video apparently that fantana did i didn't watch it but apparently that was the catalyst it's just funny and and the and the and the and the 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 shot itself was so 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 trash oh it's it's perfect it's literally it as if it's literally as if a 10 year old wanted oh, to roast it's, it's it's 10 year old level bars i'm sorry it's just funny to me your boy is pushing 40 and he's still talking like this. It's so funny to me. Fuck a persona, bro. This is your dude. This is who your dude is. Petty as shit. Passive aggressive as shit. And can't roast for fucking shit. Light one on your existence. <laughs> you are fucking joking. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's just been fun. This has been fun just waking up. And I'm just like, hey, man. At least I don't, like. It's clear that dude has so many yes men. It's just crazy. Like it's just like, oh, you're the dude. You're that guy. You're that gay. You know. You're that gay. Yeah, light one your existence. Fucking hell! What a absolute dog shit fucking roast. Absolutely dog shit. Get in the bin. Uh, bin that persona. Your boy. This is it's the dude who like came through with like tracks like jungle and shit. It don't mean nothing though. It don't mean nothing. It never meant anything to me, but it don't it shouldn't mean shit to you anymore, you guys. Shouldn't mean shit. Get over it. Find find your new boy, cause um cause this this dude's done. He's 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 rinsed. Put him in a spliff. Put him in a spliff. It's over. It was um it, it was shocking to me. Like it was it was just it was lame. It was super lame. I mean look, when I watched the Fantano's video first the the the, the cookie recipe I actually thought that Fantano had baited Drake into it. I thought the whole cookie thing was, like, completely fake. He'd never gotten any DMs from Drake whatsoever, and that sparked Drake to then DM Fantano. But that's not the case at all. Drake just hanging out on a Wednesday night, and he's just like, you know what, I'm going to have a crack at Fantano. It was was just terrible. I mean, it was just the lamest thing I've seen in a really long time. It was really... It was sad. I, I don't understand... I don't know. I'm not surprised, but still. Why you said? Why you said? This is a time for joy. This is because I like Drake. Day. You hate this Drake. I like time. Drake. This, this is a joyous type. This is a joyous type. No, I've been right all along. I've been right all along. Your boy's Look, bitch I made. Did, I don't think anyone. <laughs> I don't think anyone was out here thinking that that was not true. <laughs> Who was out here thinking that was not true? What the cookie cookie stuff? No, just that Drake is not necessarily... Oh, right. he's bitch-made. He's, bitch he's not necessarily, 
you know, the guy in the with the hatchet in his backpack. Bro, the, the funny thing is, you mentioned Culture Vulture, right? Obviously, only in the episode talking reference to Vlad. Then obviously, you got yeah. DM by somebody as got well. Copped it um, this week. Like, these, these are the guys. These are the guys who are heading up hip hop, which is hilarious to think that um, uh, you and Fantano are the faces of hip hop. Um, with all due respect, um, but yeah, we didn't. Even, I didn't even listen to live at the barbecue until this week. <laughs> this, if that man Hip-hop hears that, revoked. I'm gone. I'm outie. Hip hop card revoked. Um, but the fact that the the fact that you're the, the the king leech, king culture leech, that is Drake, um, comes through, and then you lot are gassing him all this all this time, and 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 now your boy gets is clearly clearly pissy. Over a few Fantana reviews, it's glorious. the 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 current has been raised. Oh my gosh, the Doctor, uh, the the not the Doctor, the the Wizard of Oz has the current has been raised. He's bitch made. Oh my gosh, who knew? Who, who fucking knew? Uh, yeah, I'm, you got I'm it. happy. I'm, this is this is a joyous this is a joyous momentous occasion. Um, the I I don't like. Be real, Drake. Be real. Be real. Okay, if you're petty, you're petty. Spit them bars about pettiness. Do you? I'm sure there's plenty of people that will still fuck with it because other people are petty, and that's fine. Just stop trying to be something you ain't. Just stop. And stop hoping in basketball tournaments by yourself and then you win it. That's just corny. Sorry, corny, corny, corny. Just, just, just the corniest shit I've ever seen. Imagine hosting a sports event for yourself and then winning said sports event. Get, get, get the fuck, get the fuck out. Get, get out, get out, get out. In a bin, in a spliff, it's wraps. Look, the thing about it is it's the softest target for Drake because, look, Fantano has Fantano's crowd and, you know, Fantano gets a lot of hate in hip-hop. So Drake understands that even the lamest, weakest diss on Fantano, no one's going to care if Drake gets cleaned up by Fantano because people are going to hate Fantano more than they're going to be disappointed in Drake, if that makes sense. Like, you know, every time that Fantano trends, I just see people quote tweeting and just getting really, really vitriolic against him. Like, this man should never have a voice. Why have we allowed this to happen? I hate this man. This man shouldn't speak on hip-hop, blah, blah, blah. So it does not matter what Drake says. It doesn't matter how he approaches this. The simple fact that Drake comes out and says, I don't like you, everyone who hates Fantano, they're just going to be like, well, I don't fucking like him either. He's a loser. I don't want to listen to fans. I don't think he should have a voice. They don't care. And that's. I think it's not the dumbest thing in the world from Drake. Look, I, the more that I think about it, the more I realize, like, yes, Fantano got his jokes off. Fantano got shitloads of, you know, engagement. And I'm sure he gained a fuckloads of followers, especially from people who don't fuck with Drake in the first place. But there are far, far, far more people who do not fuck with Fantano or not interested in hearing about Fantano's opinion on music who were just like, yeah, Drake just came out and just like took a shot at someone that I don't give a fuck about. And I think that's why they're not that vocal. <laughs> Does, do I not so make you, a good you point? Can't have it, but you can't have it both ways. Do I not make a good be, point? You though? can't have it like that none of us fuck with Fantano and therefore Drake can... No, Drake no, no, no I didn't say off. none of like, us. I didn't say none if, of if, us. If he's inconsequential, then why then why is he belling him up? I don't that's think he's inconsequential. He legit- it's legitimizes, a- this dude. On his own fucking IG story. That's the main pit. It's not even that Fantano shared it. He didn't share it. That's the hilarious bit. If he shared it, there would be like a little, there'll be some balance here in terms of like 
not fucking with both of them. I'd move on straight away. But it's the fact that this guy, this guy not just sent the messages, but put him up on his IG unprovoked is hilarious to me. Banter. Absolute fucking banter. Just mm. you just you just showed on, on your main that you're rumbled. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but I don't look, that's why I don't necessarily think he's showing that. Like, I think the conversations that Drake's in are probably like, man, no one gives a fuck about this guy. You know, his opinion is only repeated. And I'm, look, this is not my opinion, by the way. This is just what I've read on Twitter and Instagram. It's like he only like, you know, 15 to 25 year old white kids listen to Fantano's opinion. You don't need to care about his opinion, Drake. Uh, if you take a shot at him, no one's going to care. No one's everyone's going to back you because people in hip hop don't really fuck with Fantano. So I'm just looking at what Drake's like mentality must have been before he did this. I don't think he was just sitting at home by himself without anyone in his ear, just like searching reviews of himself and finding Fantano and being like, man, I don't fuck with him. But by that same token, I guess that could be true. I mean, Drake has proven that in his music that he does kind of do that. So I don't know. Maybe my devil's advocate is just completely off base. Who the fuck knows? I, I can't speak to a man's fucking mentality when he sent three messages and then leaked his own screenshots. Like, you, you can't be leaking your own screenshots. That's, maybe I'm just completely barking up the wrong tree here. Maybe Drake has just, just, just lost control of things. <laughs> don't leak, you don't want to be, you don't want to clean it up by leaking your own screen. Why would he, okay, now I'm on the, now I'm on Charlie's side. Screenshots. Now I'm on leaked Charlie's side. Screenshots, right? Why you did you mean? need to do you that? Fantano got the DMs. <laughs> Then I'm on Charlie's side. Fantano got the DMs, right? And then instead of, like, lighting Drake up and having a crack at him, he just turned it into some lighthearted fun. He's like, yeah, he just sent me... (laughs) And Drake saw that, right? And instead of, like, thinking, oh, yeah, this is a bit of fun, he's like, wait, no, no, no. I didn't mean for you to have fun. He could have leaned into it. He could have yeah. leaned into it. That's the thing. He could have leaned into the joke. Like, like Drake was like, DM'd him. Drake was like, like, no, no, no. This diss is so hard that the world needs this diss. I, I already like shelved a diss prior that was so hard that it was going to end careers. I'm never going to do that again. This time, I'm going to tell the world how hard this diss is. I'm going to leak these screenshots. Your existence is a light one. Like, oh, all right. Now I'm on, yeah, I'm on Charlie's side now. I've come around. <laughs> come around. Oh, gosh. Biggest L of the fucking year. I, oh, I, I caught strays off this whole thing, man. I Even I caught strays. <laughs> so, man, took a, took a picture of me looking at the camera like... Like the worst picture <laughs> yeah, of me ever. The most flattering screenshot, was it? <laughs> and then he's like, this man is everything that's wrong with hip-hop. <laughs> like, oh, shit. I was just hanging out on my own on a on a yeah, Thursday. I bet, dude didn't, I bet dude didn't say shit about what Jay-Z said a couple of weeks ago. Didn't say No, well, that. I'd have to look that up. I'd have to look that up. In the list of issues to do with hip-hop, you're like, number... Pff, give yourself a number. Oh, <laughs> the list two? Of issues with hip-hop. Oh. Two or three? <laughs> Not number one. I fell off my fucking chair. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, two. I was going to be generous. I was going to be generous. Oh, it's in the thousands somewhere. Gosh, man. <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, all right. Oh, Shit. Fucking hell. All right. That was fun. That was a fun little laugh. Um, 
don't get my DMs because I I am petty. I will share them. Don't, I don't give a fuck. I'll I'll out you if you defend Drake in my DMs. I will I will out you and roast you. I don't care. I I could not give a fuck. But um, <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Center, it's been Digging Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I certainly have. I've been trying to say the Fifth End. We've been Cardiff Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you'll have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me, Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Peace and Video Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to Chop Music, Philly Billy, to use. Socials for the Fifth Element, hit by numbers, bonus points, and your music will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a Fifth Element podcast era production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. I'll dig in in the digits. <laughs> <laughs>